Welcome to the Gospel Gazing Podcast. My name is Wilson Van Hooser. I'm the senior pastor at Grace Presbyterian Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I got to say it, especially after we beat OU, but go Pokes. Um, I hope every every one of you shout that back in your car. Uh, I'm joined today with my good buddy, Stephen Spinnenweber, um, who has, uh, he, he's he's from north of the Mason-Dixon line, but he's uh, we stole him. And no, we, south of the Mason-Dixon line. South of the Mason-Dixon Dixon line. Oh, Maryland's shoot. the old line state, but we are the topsoil of the South. Oh, I, let let all my historians rebuke me from afar. Um, I'm just I'm just glad we got you further down south with us. I so you can help me out with this. Is Florida south or is it? Did I come oh, south to the see? See, look, this is kind of like. Is New Orleans the South, or is it its own thing? Texas and New Orleans are each a thing in themselves. Oh, I mean, I think that's a good question. Same thing with Florida. I don't know, man. I think I think that that's we might have to have a whole other podcast just on that. It's a great place to be. Uh, yeah. We moved here since Greenville Seminary in 2019. Yeah, we moved here, and we brought with us a big, chubby, blue blue eyed blonde hair baby and we're now uh we've since added three floridians we have uh a girl and a boy that we added and our little girl is on the way and she's due not all that um far from your wife's due date yeah which is really exciting yeah we're uh we're we're, we're gonna be late night in it watching uh march madness uh with each other and, and whatever else happens after the nfl season so um uh, pro- probably just talking uh, theology and the whatnot of general assembly and all that. So absolutely, I guess, I guess at that point, silly season is approaching silly season. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're pumped to have a uh, spin on the podcast with us. And, uh, we're going to be talking today about the means of grace. And, uh, we're going to be explaining that and talking about very practically how it changes the way we think about local church ministry, how it changes the life of, Christians, and uh, and as always, what we want to do is we're 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 trying to explain the riches of the depths of our theology while at the same time talking a lot about the so what. And uh, spins a great one for that, so we're really excited. Uh, so, uh, spin, we're talking about the means of grace. What in the world do we mean by the means of grace? Yeah, the means of grace are the ways in which God has promised to communicate grace and blessings to his people. These are, we might call them his appointed instruments or the channels of blessing, where when approached and used in faith and in dependence upon the spirit, the believer can expect to be spiritually nourished by God. So these these means of grace, I tell people, it's like, uh, where's the best place to uh, find a train Mm. on the tracks, right? You go to the tracks. And so likewise, when we are trying to meet with God, when we are trying to commune with God, how do we do that? You know, what are the train tracks that we need to get on? We need to get to the word. We need to get to the sacraments and we need to get to prayer. Yeah. Well, and and that that's exactly what we're getting into is, you know, talking about, Okay, what is a means of grace? But then, what are the means of grace? You just mentioned them. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? What What are the means of grace? Yeah the the means of grace, and you'll often hear 
folks in our circles refer to them as the simple means of grace or the ordinary mm-hmm. means of grace. And that's on purpose because the word, the preaching of the word that you hear every Sunday, the sacraments, that is the Lord's Supper and baptism that you observe on a periodic basis, the, the Lord's Supper and on an as need basis with baptism and prayer, which is, I mean, you're supposed to be praying without ceasing, right? Like that's very ordinary in, insofar as it's something that we should be doing every day. Uh, these are the ordinary way in which God blesses his people. And the question then becomes, I mean, if it's so simple, then why don't we do these things? Yeah, that's um, good. You know, pastorally, it's trying to, it feels like right half of our job is trying to explain to uh, members of our congregation, keep applying yourself to these means because they do work. They do work. Yeah. yeah. You know, sinfully, uh, we don't always believe that. I mean, why do you think that is? Why do you think that we mm. doubtful that the means of grace are actually the way in which God's going to bless us? Oh man. I mean, I think, I think in a lot of ways, this is, that's a really good question. I think in a lot of ways we love the fantastic we love um, the 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 shining bright things. Uh, I had a student when I was doing RUF who kept telling me. She kept saying, "I just, I, I wish I had a sign from God." And uh, I said, "There is a sign." Uh, matter of fact, every other week at our church uh, <laughs> is the Lord's Supper. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, what do you think? I think that's a great question because you know. I think the word ordinary throws us off. Yeah, you, you make the point where we we prefer to be dazzled by the extraordinary, right? And I think that when we hear that word simple or ordinary, we kind of wrinkle our nose a little bit and we yeah. infer that that means the weak means of grace or mm. the paltry means of grace. When in fact, we shouldn't look at these as bald or a kind of plain Jane, but rather... Yeah that these are potent yeah. powerful means of grace that we don't need the bells and whistles or the bells and smells, you know, of whether it's kind of high church Roman Catholicism or Anglicanism or sort of the, the smoke machine of your generically, you know, yep. big box yep. evangelical church. Like God meets us in the middle. He meets us in the ordinary, which is profoundly yeah. kind of. Me. So I, I tell people, you know, what's the, better option or what is more remarkable meeting the president one time in the oval office mm. which is cool if you've ever done it that's like a once in a lifetime kind of experience but it's once in a lifetime or to have the president of the united states come and sit in your living room every single week yeah yeah right the latter may not be as big and bright and spectacular as going to the oval office that one time but the intimacy and the yep. relationship that you enjoy with the president is much stronger yeah in that latter alternative yeah do you think in our celebrity culture how much do you think this has influenced the way we think about these ideas because though we don't have an official royalty uh we still live in a culture that basically looks out for those types of stuff. Our ro- our qu- quote-unquote royalty is different. Yeah, I think you're right. W- people like to follow a powerful personality or a, a man who seems to have his act together uh, can rouse a crowd 
and kind of drum up those extraordinary feelings, right? Somebody yeah. to kind of rescue us from the normalcy and the mundanity of life. When, when in fact, um, that's really not what we need. Everywhere right now, we're being entertained. Everyone is competing for the market share of our mind. Yeah. Right? And so what yeah. I really love coming to the Lord's Day uh, on Sunday with my people is that my job is not to entertain them. It's not to dazzle them. You know, mm-hmm. super- um, he kind of talked about how in the church, you know, it's not a responsibility to feed the goats, but Christ's sheep. Mm. We're not in the business of entertaining goats. We're here yeah. to yeah. feed Christ's sheep. And so that's where this steady supply of the means of grace over time to our simple minds that doesn't seem like the fast track to sanctification or a fulfilling Christian life. But it's sort of like another illustration I use with people. Say you want to lose weight. Yeah. Instead of eating the healthy foods and exercising portion control, which is really hard when you go, what, do you, did you grow up on buffets? I'm going to ask. Like, oh, man, kid? I grew up. I grew up in the South, man. I mean, look, every every restaurant, every every home was was like buffet, man. I mean, how do, do you, you remember the KFC buffet? Yes. Yes, dude. I feel so much nostalgia right now. Man. I, I saw it a handful of times. Uh, yeah, which may, maybe, you know, we're south of the Mason-Dixon, but maybe that says <laughs> something about me. But, you know, it's 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 easier to say, give me that diet pill that promises to melt away 50 yep. pounds instantly. Right. But that's not healthy. And yeah. that really doesn't work. Yeah. So we have to keep applying ourselves to these means of grace. And like I said, our job as pastors is to encourage our people and to kind of tell them, hey, press on, right? Because yeah. like anything, growth in grace takes time. Mm-hmm. Growing pains, you might say. Well, and, and I think that gets something really important even before we plunge deeper into uh, the context of the means of grace in covenant theology. But um, when people come to our churches, they are you know, naturally thinking like, well, what is this church offering me? Um, uh, in, in a lot of ways we say, well, well, what am I going to get out of this? Um, in yeah, some way, in some right. ways that can be, yeah. In some ways it it is true that the worship service is a type of consumption. There are means of grace We're, you know, but it's, it's, uh, it's a different type of consumption than what we typically mean by don't be a consumer when you come to worship. Um, but I think in one in one sense though, when when we talk about being an ordinary means of grace church, uh it, it doesn't look all that flashy. It doesn't look all that trendy. And uh sometimes it people can uh we 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 can get bored or we think nothing's happening in that church. How do we how do we push back against that in a in a loving way, but in a way that reinforms uh people into having a biblical worldview. So when folks come to our church, we have an inquirer's class for our church. We don't call it new members because we don't want people to think that there's a trap door at the end of the class and they need to join thereafter. Yeah. But for those, <laughs> but for those that want to know what the Reformed faith is all about, and I, I joke and say, we are very much Presbyterians in the foreground at my church. Uh, there will be churches that, you know, adhere to the same confessional theology that you and I do right? The Westminster standards um, and, and, and the BCO, but presentationally, they yeah. would be um, 
casting a wider net in, yeah. in terms of their appeal versus people say, is your church traditional? I say, no, we're, we're, we're biblical and historic, meaning that we want every element of our worship, the content to be rich. Yeah. And we want to have as often as we're able, a chapter and verse to explain why we're doing what we're doing. And mm. that is actually a very freeing experience because yeah. what if, I mean, you have uh, RUF students in your church. What would they do if a professor just walked into the classroom, said you have a 5,000 uh, 5, word essay due tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Better be good, pass or fail. And then he walks out of the classroom. He'd be like, wait a minute, what is expected of me? Yeah. Um, like, how am I supposed to rest content in mm -hmm. what I'm doing when I don't even know if this is the right thing for me to be doing? But God's revealed the right manner in which he's to be worshipped. And it's very simple and accessible. Yeah. So we don't need to go to earthly Mount Zion. We don't need to make a pilgrimage to uh, Mecca or these holy sites. God meets us where we yeah. are. Yeah. And that is profoundly kind of him. Yeah. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, the, uh, you know, we like to say in our circles, uh, we want the manner in which we speak about the gospel to match the matter of the gospel. Well, that's what the means of grace are. I mean, because of the incarnation, God, he, he, he comes to us. And so he comes to us in these very normal everyday things that are so accessible. And uh, yeah. So now we need to, we need to talk a little bit more like why are theologically, why do we have the means of grace? What does that have to do with uh, covenant theology? Yeah, this is a great question. So John Calvin says that God in his word lisps, to us like a father does to his children. So baby talk. Uh, he is the transcendent and holy creator. We are finite, limited, and more than that, sinful creatures. And so in order to bridge that gap between the creator and the creature, the Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, chapter seven, I'm actually taking our students through this uh, oh, on Wednesday, awesome. our middle and high school students, but it's on God's covenant with man. Uh, chapter seven, section one reads, the distance between God and the creature is so great mm. that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part. So with covenant theology, we have no saving apprehension of God. We have no right to claim him as our blessedness and our reward, but God, by his grace, comes to us in a way that we can understand him with mm. the language of scripture that is intelligible and understandable to both the learned and the unlearned. That's Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter one. And these means of grace, the, the sacraments, which are pictures of the gospel. So mm. that even my six-year-old son, when we explain what's happening at the administration of the supper or when the waters of baptism are applied to a child, he understands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the the covenant, and this is what's really amazing, and it's something that jumped out at me and the students this in recent weeks. The covenant, God used means of grace in the Old Testament uh, 
And those were the types and shadows, the sacrifices, the temple, the bells and smells of the Old Testament. And those were sufficient for the time to point Old Testament believers to the antitype that Mm -hmm. is the shadow caster, Jesus Christ. And now under the gospel, and, and I'll come back around to this, tie it all up at the end, I promise, but this is chapter seven, section six. Under the gospel, when Christ, the substance, that is the substance of the types, the shadows, the ordinances, circumcision, sacrifices, all that stuff. Uh, when Christ, the substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant of grace is dispensed are the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which, here we go, though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity Mm. and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jew and Gentile, this grace of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just so beautiful where it's it's like because the vision of Christ throughout redemptive history becomes more and more clear, the means become more and more simple. I don't need uh, binoculars yeah. to behold my child when he's sitting in my lap. Now, when he's far off, right, I'm going to need these different means to see him and to like picture him and be like, okay, I I see him, I'm going to him. But once we meet Jesus Christ face to face, right, there's no more need for those means or those augments or those uh, uh, ways of beholding Christ because now Mm -hmm. we see see him in scripture. And he's, he's, uh, you know, when we think of simplicity, it's sort of like a beautiful woman, a woman who's naturally beautiful. She doesn't need a lot of makeup to make her pretty. Yeah, yeah. Or like Nor good food that doesn't need to be dressed up with, you know, all these other things. You know, I love to, I love to joke with uh, some of our people in our church where, you know, if it's a really good brisket, you just let that sucker speak for itself, man. Don't, don't, don't dress it up with anything else. But you're not supposed to put ketchup on brisket. Oh man, I got people cringing right now. Uh- <laughs> but that's what happens when we yeah. try to improve yeah. the means of grace, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think that's what uh, one of the reasons there there are many reasons, but one of the reasons why true gospel ministry can be so scandalous. It's uh, it's just anybody can stumble in and by faith behold the glory of the infinitely glorious one. Um, Yeah. Now. Going back to, you know, we're talking about, you know, what are the means of grace? It's uh, the word of God, prayer, and the two sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, there, There is, uh, what's important to remember there is that those means of grace are first experienced in the covenant community. Uh, the The public worship informs the private worship. Why is it important to understand the ordering of that? Why is it important to understand that these means of grace uh, are to be attended to first, not only, but first in the corporate setting? Yeah. 
when Jesus saves us, he does save us as individuals, but he saves us to the body of Christ. So when scripture explains your identity and mine upon conversion, it speaks of us as being uh, the diverse members of one body, or you could think of branches, right? That are engrafted into the vine that is Jesus Christ. Mm. We were not made to exist independently. Ben Franklin had some things right and among them that no man is an island yeah and so we do live in a highly individualistic society where people think so long as it's just me jesus in my bible i'm going to make it along just fine but we are to love the body of christ and we are to share in common these means of grace which are going to feed and nourish the faith of us all and if we don't do that first john has some pretty yeah, seemingly stark things to say about if, uh, yeah, I love Jesus, but I really don't like Christians or I really don't mm. feel for the body. He says, if you don't love your brothers, then you don't love me. And so we need to take those warnings and those exhortations mm. like let us not forsake the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but let's encourage one another and exhort one another as yeah. the day of Christ draws nearer. Those aren't optional. Yeah, uh, it, it is not an option to be a part of the body of Christ. That's uh, a requirement. It's a necessary yeah. fruit of being united to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. When we think about the word being a means of grace, uh, I believe it's lar- larger catechism question 155, where it says, uh, how is the word made effectual for salvation? It is through the reading of the word, but especially the preaching of the word. Why is that? The reading of the word is, I mean, you think of the Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The reading of the word was effective in bringing to this man's mind. Mm. Mm. Uh, You know, he's he's on the way. He's starting to understand things. But it wasn't until somebody came to preach to him and to teach him the word, that person having been instructed by the spirit themselves, Philip, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, That the spiritual understanding is illumined and the will and the heart and the affections come in tow. And so preaching is singled out as the chief means of grace, because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And Mm -hmm. Romans 14, uh, this text is, is pretty cool. And the Greek is significant here. And our English translations sometimes pick up on this, but uh, I'm going to read it one way and then probably interpret it slightly different. So these will sound familiar to our listeners. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That middle clause there, that middle question, and how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard, that can also be translated this way. And how are they to believe in him whom Mm. they have never heard? Come on now. So preaching is Christ himself speaking. Now, that doesn't make you Jesus. That doesn't make me Jesus. But it does mean, according to this passage of Scripture, that when the preacher is preaching God's word, and rightly mm-hmm. dividing that word of truth, uh, the people are hearing from Christ himself. 
Yes. And, and that's unique to the preaching act. Yes. And, and that doesn't make you and I special pre, uh, people. You talked about celebrity culture earlier. I want to tie back into that just slightly. In the chapter on the sacraments, chapter 27 of the confession, it says that the sacraments don't have any more or less efficacy based upon the merits of the man that's administering them. And nor does the word have more or less efficacy because you're a silver tongued orator or I am. Yep. Yep. Uh, Good. Seeing that God uses weak preachers. I mean, some of the great preachers that we like listening to, or we can't listen to them because they weren't recorded, but some of the preachers that we read, a lot of them actually had like kind of, voices that might've been hard to listen to, or they weren't yeah, yeah. speakers, yeah. but God used them mightily. Why? Because Christ was speaking in and through the message that these men proclaimed. I think that's a game changer because how often can we show up to corporate worship and maybe the kids were tough that morning. Maybe uh, it's just, it's been a hard week. I've seen a lot of my sin that week, or it's been a hard week because I just, I've been suffering a lot. Uh, I can be struggling with doubts. I can be trying to fight sin. I can be just hoping I can make it through just one more week at my job, whatever it might be. How does this give great comfort, encouragement, but even expectation of the preaching moment? Yeah. We should go to church every Sunday as though Jesus were this preacher. Mm. You would, however bad your week was, and even if your kids were acting like hellions that morning. Uh, <laughs> never, never, never our kids, right? Not, uh, not ours. <laughs> Certainly not. You're going to get to church because yeah. you want to hear from Jesus. And yeah. every single week, Jesus is speaking to his people through the word and the ministry of the spirit, applying the gospel to yeah. their hearts to heal up the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds and to give them the grace and the strength to carry on and to persevere until Jesus comes back. Mm-hmm. So Spurgeon said, and here's an encouragement to you and me, it's a good shot in the arm whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself or preaching <laughs> is pretty lousy. You know, Spurgeon said, I never ascend into the pulpit without believing that I'm doing something of everlasting significance. Wow. And so likewise, you sitting in the pews. Yep. When you come to church on Sunday, nothing less than an event of everlasting significance happening then and there. And so you should prepare accordingly. Man, I think that's huge. And I've been able to use this in counseling numerous times where trying to give people encouragement when they know their sin. And they are doing all they can to fight. And they're they're attending to the means of grace. And so often in those moments, we can only look at ourselves. We can almost do this over self-examination. And we're just like, gosh, man, nothing's happening. And to be able to lift up their eyes to say, hey, what did you just do on Sunday? You, you just heard Christ speak to you. Um, and you can take confidence in that. And, uh, man, I, I, I've seen all of a sudden just people's countenance totally change when they realize, oh, <laughs> this is far more than, um, me just saying, well, 
what did I get out of it? Or just turning it into like, how good of a public speaker was this person? When you realize, uh, you know, Calvin says like in the uh, assurance of pardon, it, it it is just as if Christ bodily showed up and spoke that to you. That's how sure this word is. Um, I think that gives incredible comfort to people who, um, may, maybe they woke up Sunday morning after a rough Saturday night and they're thinking, I don't deserve to go to church. You, um, you mean people who woke up on a rough Saturday, like the folks at uh, Oklahoma? Well, th- that's kind of more like they who shall not be named. Um, that, that, the that's, yeah, yeah. The well. yeah, that's good. That's school down the road. Um, so <laughs> well, you, you made a point here and I think it's really helpful in terms of how do we counsel believers who are really up against it. Um, The conventional wisdom of the world says, dig down deep, look inside yourself. Your problem is self-esteem. You don't love yourself enough. I'm sorry. The problem is that we love ourselves too much. What we need to do to keep and to free ourselves from that morbid introspection of which you spoke, Robert Mary McShane, you and I him now, which is amazing. He was 29 years old, but he had the wisdom of a 99-year-old. He said, for every one look you take at yourself, take nine or 10 looks at Christ. Yeah. Remember how he was. So the means of grace are great from taking us out of ourselves and morbidly introspecting, which yes. is a death spiral, yes. and fixes our eyes upon the word, the word incarnate, that is Jesus, upon yeah. The, yeah. the word signified in the sacraments of baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. I mean, a direct line of access. You never get a busy signal in prayer. You're never put on Oh, come on, man. So that's where, my gosh, um, they're right here. They're they're right and ready at hand. Mm -hmm. God is not giving us the Heisman and trying to keep us on (laughs) blank. Like These means of grace are him putting his arms around us and and saying, don't go anywhere. I'm right here. And we just need to be a people who live not by sight, what we can see or put into a test tube, yeah. but rather we need to be a people who live by faith in the promises of God. And he has promised that he will meet us when we approach these means in faith. I might be jumping ahead in our notes, but I, I think it, it, it flows in pretty well here. What can often be said today in uh, American Christianity is, Whenever there is, uh, you know, you do something more than just a Sunday morning worship service, you know, whenever there's a a Sunday evening or maybe there's a midweek prayer meeting or, uh, you know, Sunday school or what, you know, there's all these different things. We, we can get so quick to say, oh, that's legalistic. But I think when there's a right understanding of what the means of grace are, Man, all of a sudden, that's a lifeline for me as a wretched sinner to come back again and again and again to be told, (laughs) you are not saved by your works. You are saved by Christ. And that's the power for change. How, how, how How does this make us eager to attend more to the means of grace when we have a right understanding? If you are a member of a Presbyterian church in America, you actually take a vow 
when you become a member that you are going to support the work of the church to the best of your abilities, and you're going to study its purity and its peace. Mm. And so my encouragement to you, and uh, I would say is that if you've taken that vow and your church has a discipleship hour or a Sunday school hour, I would encourage you to go to that because you're supporting the work of the church and that's going to be a place where you benefit from the work of the church. Likewise, we here at the church, we have Sunday morning and evening worship. It's definitely a rhythm of life to which most people are not accustomed immediately. But I will say that, I mean, I'd never even heard the word Sabbath so much as uttered before I started yeah. going to seminary, which is wild. Yeah. But when you when you realize that you get that second helping of God's grace, that evening worship or the Lord's day is not something that you have to do, but it's something that you get to do. Yep. Then that just completely changes your perspective. Yeah. So I would say let's be means of grace maximalists, not minimalists, yeah. because we live right now in a super restless age. Yes. And St. Augustine said, our, our, we were made by thee and our souls will be restless until they find their rest in thee. So if we starve ourselves of the means of spiritual rest and restoration, mm -hmm. then it's no wonder why I think a lot of Christians suffer from fears and anxieties that may very well be alleviated by yes. a regular and steady diet of the means of grace. Yeah. So let's be maximalists yep. and, and not minimalists because I don't know about you, but even as a minister of the gospel, I need to max out my Lord's yeah. day. I need to be in front of God's people, in front of the means of grace and, you know, that iron sharpening iron experience as much yeah. as I can get. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I like to tell my people I'm a feedback preacher. Uh, I want to know, first off, if you're alive, maybe that's because of my years in youth ministry um, while they're like counting the ceiling tiles. Um, but but also, too. Uh, you know, I, I, there are times where I will say amen and they'll say amen back. And there's many different reasons for that. But, but also one of the reasons is, uh, you know, when we preach, we are also, even though we are preaching, we're sitting under our own preaching. And it's an incredible encouragement even to us as we preach and we see our people react to it. In a way where it's like you see the smiles on their face or maybe the tears that well up or uh, the youth who kind of like sit up a little bit. And you're like, oh, this is like this is the gospel. And uh, yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on. I mean, it, it's um, I, I, I like to tell people, you know, you, you don't pay me to attend worship. You don't pay me to preach. You pay me to prepare to preach. Uh you know, you 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 pay me to uh, prepare for the service or for Sunday school, uh, all these other things. That man, that's the privilege. That's what I get to do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, so oh, go 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 ahead, go ahead. You, so you know, my people aren't uh, antiphonal listeners quite like yours are. Uh, we do have <laughs> Nenner, uh Nick, and I, I love my man Nick. Um, Y'all, I always know when he's there, and I miss him when he isn't. But also singing. Yes. Right. Singing heartily yeah. under the Lord, because when in I think it's Colossians uh, 318 mm -hmm. talks about uh, instruct and exhort one another with psalms, yeah. songs and spiritual songs. I, I sort of file that under the heading of the means of grace, which is the word. Yeah. Um, 
that we should be singing the word and hearing others confess what they believe, whether through that's the recitation of creeds and confessions that are biblical or whether it's through the singing of God's word. Like we sing a psalm in every service, uh, a delightfully singable tune. I I work with them. But yeah, even as preachers, I am edified when I Mm. see people responding to the preached word and singing the word and singing about the truths of scripture corporately as much as I think that they're probably benefiting um, from my acts in the service. Yeah. So before we get to the history of the church and the importance of the means of grace, well, I guess this is history. It's just even further back. In Acts 2.42, the people respond to the sermon at Pentecost. And I think what is so fascinating is what do they dedicate themselves to first? (laughs) The means of grace. And very interestingly, if very purposefully, uh, it's as they soak in the means of grace that then they're able to go out to serve other people. Um, how, how does scripture show us the importance of being a means of grace church? That was the means whereby the church grew. And I think what's happening in a lot of our, you know, you cook it, you, you, you get into the laboratory and you try to determine how are we going to have an effective church? Yeah. How are we going to have a growing and a thriving and a vital church? And I think what a lot of people do is they look beyond scripture. They look beyond the means of grace, the ordinary, and, you know, want to dazzle and entertain with the extraordinary. But when you look at the growth and the progress of the New Testament church, it was just through preaching. Mm. It was the breaking of bread together in fellowship. It was the prayers of the saints. That's how the church grew. And, And so I don't think that we need to find alternative means of making the church efficient and effective, I think that the very means that God has appointed are the most efficient means of numerically growing the church, but also growing the church in wisdom and stature and maturity. So they are effective because they are what God has appointed. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it, I mean, it really simplifies your job description in mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because I don't need to be a community organizer. I don't need mm-hmm. to be an expert on de- uh, demographic studies. I don't need to cast vision, you know, every other week because yeah. I've gotten some sort of extraordinary insight from the Lord that nobody before me has ever experienced. Like, no, <laughs> the the vision for ministry, yeah, right, is Matthew 28. Yeah, like a great commission. That's the church's mission statement. It's simple. It's it's transferable. It works at your church there in Mm -hmm. Stillwater, Oklahoma, and it works here at my church in Jacksonville, Florida. And it's effective because it's blessed by God's spirit, whereas other means means that you and I know the golden calves that we fashion because you know what the people want. Mm -hmm. Those aren't going to in the long run. I mean, they might. They might pump up numbers, but yeah, uh, Lord doesn't look on the outward appearance. He looks at the heart. Yeah, no, that's so spot on. Now, the means of grace have been so important throughout the church's history. 
why has that been the case? And then maybe what ha- what have we noticed in church history whenever the means of grace are neglected? When the means of grace take center stage, and those are the meat and potatoes of the church's ministry, the church thrives. But when we supplement or replace the means of grace with something that we think will be more effective, uh, then the church begins to atrophy. Spurgeon, you know, he he was not like you and I in every respect. You know, he was a, a Reformed or a Calvinistic Baptist. But he said that, you know, wherever high ceremony tends to thrive, there is a low premium placed upon the preached word. Mm. And people resort to gimmicks, whether they be highbrow or whether they be kind of the more lowbrow, we might say, yeah. variants, you know, yeah. where it's um, kind of the parlor tricks or, you know, Benny Hinn hitting people with his uh, with his jacket or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, there's a low priority placed upon the word. So this is the big difference, isn't it, between the first and second great awakenings? Yeah, uh, good. The the first great awakening, you know, you have Jonathan Edwards, you have George Whitfield, and I understand Presbyterians that you and I are that some of that stuff might not have been the most orderly way of going about yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Preaching, but the content of their preaching was sound. Yeah, I mean, I've got George Whitfield collected sermons on my shelf, and they're a blessing to me even yeah. hundreds of years later. So those men were using the simple means of grace, whereas you had the revivalism of the second great awakening or mm-hmm. the so-so or decent great uh, great awakening yeah, yeah. <laughs> where you have charles finney mm-hmm. who reduces conversion down to a simple cause and effect formula where if you if you do these things this will be the effect so it was kind of mechanistic if you yeah. play the song this many bars if you incorporate that anxious bench if you can get so many people come forward to dedicate their life to Christ, then the results will necessarily follow. But and there, and you see, don't you yeah. kind of the seeds yep. of how a lot of the church does ministry today is that it's formulaic, whereas mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. dependent upon the work of the spirit. Yeah, no, I think that's so good. I mean, I think you, uh, you, you think about so many of the times throughout the history of the church, you know, L- Luther is a big influence of mine. And uh, he's got that very famous saying where he and his uh, his uh, two BFFs, Philip and Amsdorf, uh, there's just I, I tell my wife, I'm like, we need to fit Amsdorf, Amsdorf somehow in a name for a child. Uh, not already. One of your children. No, I think maybe I forgot one. Um, but yeah, you know, they're they're just hanging out, drinking Wittenberg beer. Uh, they really didn't do much, but the word did all. And uh, I think that is, it, it's been uh, what our tradition has believed uh, across ethnicities and ages where wherever it goes, whatever types of people, man, the word by the spirit does the work. Yeah. No need to fix the wheel. It's working yeah. quite well, right? Yeah. You know, if it's not broke. Don't fix it. Let it keep rolling. And the word does much better work than you and I can do by ourselves. Now, if these really are the means of grace, and we've already been hitting on this, uh, but maybe it's good just to keep coming back to it, which is very much what we do with the means of grace anyway. If these are the means of grace, what is it? What implications does it have for 
our churches. If you come to my church, and I assume if people go to your church regularly, uh, the Lord's days are going to look pretty consistent across the board. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of, uh, people joke at me and say that I'm kind of like a modern Puritan. You know, my preaching <laughs> is through whole books of the Bible, uh, yeah. even during the months of December and leading up to Easter, you know, yeah. I'll do an incarnational sermon at Christmas and I'll do a resurrection sermon around Easter. But my ordinary course is a steady march through mm. whole books of the Bible because I believe that taking people through the whole counsel of God, it was A.W. Tozer who said it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Mm. So um, service the means of grace will be administered ordinarily, right? In a pretty in a pretty consistent manner, which in a world that is subject to flux and volatility and change, yes, you, good. you need more consistency in your life, not less. Yeah. And so to protect your conscience, because we do believe in the liberty of conscience, like the Westminster yeah. Convention of Faith talks about, and to free it from my own taste and preferences and whims as a minister of the gospel. I'm only going to give you what I believe the word says. And so mm-hmm. the the means of grace are trustworthy. They are consistent. And I think that over time you will find that they are effective. And and yeah, for a lot of our folks, right, they'll struggle and say, you know, Wilson, it feels hollow. It feels like I'm just going through the motions. So I'm going to stop. I'm I'm not going to come to church anymore. It feels, it feels dry. And uh, I'm leaving empty, not full. Uh, please don't stop going through the motions. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Please keep coming to church. That's key. Like, you know, if if somebody said, well, I really don't feel love. Yeah, for my wife. that's that's the word. Right. I don't feel love for my wife. I'm like, well, you still need to stay married. Yeah. Exactly. You still need to love her, lay down your life for her. And you know what? Your affections will catch up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so likewise, when we use these means of grace, don't be surprised if it takes a while for your affections to catch up to your duties. Yes. Um, don't abandon the effort. Don't pack it in and just say, well, these must not work because the problem is not with the means. It's an operator error. It, yeah. we're, we're sinners, yeah. right? And so it takes time. So just be patient. Be patient yeah. with yourself and know that... Um, God will bless these. We just have to believe that he will. Well, it's interesting because so much in in nature, and you, and you see how God as Redeemer is the same God who is the creator. So many things in creation do the same thing. You know, whenever you're farming, it just seems like you're doing the same thing over and over again. And then all of a sudden, boom, you look up and like, oh my goodness, there's a row of uh, apple trees or you're working out. Uh, you don't always see those gains immediately. And then all of a sudden you look back up after several weeks and you're like, oh, wow, I've seen muscles take shape or, you know, a diet. There's so many of these things in normal life that are like that. Matter of fact, typically the most rich things in life happen after a long time of doing what seems to be the normal everyday habits. I mean, I think what's, what's actually really interesting is I got a couple of these books on my shelf even in the uh, uh, business world, there's a big trend now of people writing about habit forming. 
and ways you can uh, build skill over a long period of time, even just with uh, short little moments where you just keep practicing. And uh, I kind of want to look at that and be like, yeah, uh, where do you think that idea (laughs) has come from? And I think that is, it's really key for the means of grace. Now, We've talked a lot about the public means of grace, the corporate means of grace, but there's also the private means of grace. How how do we, what are the private or personal means of grace and how do we even help our churches build that type of a culture? We do want to make sure that we make that distinction and it's it's a fine one, it's an important one between the means of grace that are enjoyed in the corporate context and those that are enjoyed in the familial and in the private context. So the the key one being the Lord's Supper. Yeah. Acts 20, 28 says that Jesus Christ shed his blood for the church. And the understanding there is that, uh, and you see this, don't you, in 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul says, when you come together, yeah, the good. context for the Lord's Supper is corporate. So when we came back from COVID and we hadn't been observing the Lord's Supper for a while because of no hesitancies around uh, contracting COVID and things like that. That that wasn't a long period. But uh, when we came back, I broke from my normal custom of preaching through a whole books of the Bible. And I preached on 1 Corinthians 11 about the context of the supper, which is when you come together, and then the content of the supper. Yeah, that's awesome. what, What it reveals about Jesus and the gospel. So corporately, the preached word, not to say that you can't exhort and you can't proclaim the word outside of corporate worship. Um, you are able to do that. But in terms of that authoritative preaching act, you know, through a minister yeah. of the gospel, you're going to get that on the Lord's Day from your mm-hmm. pastor. And the Lord's Supper is not to be observed as a private sacrament because sacraments, by their very nature, baptism included, are to be observed in the view of the of the body of the whole yeah. church. Yeah. But privately. Uh, you are to read the word. God's given us the word uh, in a vulgar tongue, right? You know, this yeah, is yeah. <laughs> of our, uh, the native language, right? Uh, it was inspired in Greek and Hebrew, but God's gospel, I think in demonstration that the gospel is for every tribe, tongue, and nation, it's yep. translated into the tongues of many people. Yep. So you'd be hard pressed not to find an English Bible around. We should be reading our Bibles, mm-hmm. be praying without ceasing, Yep. Um, whether in seasons of rejoicing or seasons of suffering, um, mm-hmm. making our prayers unto the God. Um, and yeah, our corporate activities are the foundation for our personal, our private activities. Neither yeah. is meant to exist independently. Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, by themselves, but we would say that the corporate does take priority over the private, which again, yeah. in kind of our very individualistically bent society, people might yeah. think it feels a little weird. Like mm-hmm. you're telling me that it's more important to go to church on Sunday than it is to read my Bible every day. Yeah. And yeah. that it I is, actually say yes. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, exactly, you know, the fourth commandment's a thing. Yeah. The honor I didn't the know. Sabbath. I thought we only had nine commandments. The nine commandments. <laughs> the great meme. But the the fourth commandment is a is an explicit command. And 
even the Bereans, when you think about them, I think yeah, it's good. They didn't have physical Bibles on their nightstands. Yes. So how did they hear the Bible? How did they search the scriptures? They did yeah, it good. as a body and the yeah. word dwelt in them richly. They meditated upon it, you know, and they're rising up and they're going down to sleep when they're on their way with their sons and their daughters. So um, the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. I'd say there's a certain level of flexibility in which that happens, whether you read through the whole Bible in a year or you read through half the Bible in a year. Yeah. Right? It's not explicit, but it is explicit in saying that we are to be meeting on the Lord's day with God's people. So that's foundational. Yeah. And that's essential. And these things we might say are just icing on that cake. These are mm. bonuses. Um, so Man. yeah, there's definitely a yes and relationship. Yeah. Neither or. One of the things culturally that the age in which we live, this post enlightenment age where we typically just say that all of reality can be determined by my five senses. And what tends to happen there is we neglect the reality of the spiritual. Uh, we, we can, Christians can very much still be affected by this and we can treat our walk with Christ as uh, and and an add-on or an elective class or just a little bit of an assistance. Um, how 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 does Scripture actually speak back against that? And actually, how does realizing that hey, the reality of God and the reality of the gospel? How does this actually speak back to uh, the priority? Not 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 saying like a Gnosticism separation of you know body and soul, but actually <laughs> I think maybe there's kind of like a uh, a Gnosticism 2.0 right now where it's just it's just body rather than soul. So mm-hmm. anyway, how how does the means of grace actually reprioritize uh, the Christian life? The Bible acknowledges and it anticipates those objections to the simplicity of the means of grace. And the world's preference for alternative methods of spiritual vitality and uh, enhancement. So I take people all the time to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 31, where mm. just says, right, for the word, word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Um, you know, he says that the the Jews want signs, the Greeks want wisdom, but what you and I have is the folly of the cross, and it's not going to make sense to the unbelieving world. How could it? I mean, trying to explain the truth of the gospel to a person who has not had the eyes of their heart opened is like trying to explain the beauty of the Mona Lisa to a person who's never seen. Mm, That's a good example, yeah. So we shouldn't be taken off guard by people who just say, wait a minute, like you're, you mean to tell me that reading your Bible and praying God's word back to him and going to church on Sunday and, you know, taking wine or grape juice or whatever it is that you serve and bread, that this is really going to just put you over the top spiritually. And the world wants to say, well, show me, you know, show yeah. me, <laughs> yeah, put it in a test tube and prove it to me that this works. But um, 
we're not just brains on a stick. We're not pieces of yeah. meat, like you said, with this overwhelming priority upon the fleshly and uh, that which we can observe. But we're supernaturalists. Yeah. And these are supernatural means that God has appointed. And so we need to believe that in faith. So, yeah. I mean, verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord, which here, here's again, why the simple means of grace are so great is because, yeah, looking at them, you'd say they're not much. Yeah. But that just makes the power of God all the more amazing and put on display because he uses weak instruments to affect change. Yeah. This has been a phenomenal conversation and there's, I feel like there's so many things we could very easily come up with a part two and maybe we should, uh, you're, you're going to, you're going to be a regular guest on, on this podcast. Um, but if someone's new to this concept of the means of grace, where in the world, where where do I start? Um, if I'm new to Christianity, or I'm just I'm new to Reformed theology, or I'm just I'm I'm new to this whole idea, where do I start with embracing the means of grace? Go to church. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go to church. Um if it feels foreign to you, if it feels otherworldly. And like nothing that you've ever experienced before, chances are that's a good thing. Because again, this is the wisdom from God. This is not the wisdom of the world. This is not something that if if you're newly converted and if a church is really worshiping in spirit and in truth, it should feel different. Yeah. It should stand out as being peculiar. And and that's where um, I would say... Sticking to the simple means of grace, the tried and true method of, you know, God that he's given us, um, it's going to have evangelistic appeal. So uh, we we try to say, okay, what do people want? I, I'm not interested in giving people what they want so much as giving them what they need. Yeah. And once you find it, um, don't walk away from it. So go to church regularly. Surround yourself with persons who are older than you and wiser in the faith. Uh, naturally, and here's here's my, uh, I don't think I've had any hot takes so far, but here's my one hot take. When we <laughs> Here we go. Looking for community. When I hear that, I'm mm-hmm. hearing, I want to be around people who are where I am, meaning they look like me, they think yes. like, they talk like me. I want to be surrounded by reflections of me mm. versus what you probably need is you need someone with gray hair. Yep. You need somebody who's been married for a little bit, or even someone who's been a faithful single, you know, their yep. whole Christian life. And yeah. who's just really wise in the word They're They're committed to the local church. Surround yourself with Paul's. There, mm. There's nothing wrong with having other Timothys around, but if you're a young person, Yes. Huge in, in our context and being a college town. Yeah. Please find an older saint and just shadow them. Watch what they do. Um, 
being around people who are using the means of grace well, so much of the Christian life, I mean, a lot of it's taught. That's what you and I do, right? We're, yeah, we're teachers. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> that's why we do podcasts. That's why we do podcasts. But a lot of it's caught. Yeah. Um, you know, so find those mm-hmm. people. And, you know, Paul could say to those who, uh, to whom he was writing in the book of Philippians, he says, um, imitate me as I follow Jesus Christ. So find yeah. people yep. who are following Jesus and then imitate those people. And, um, yeah, please. Mm. Just start reading the Bible recommendations. You know, do you, is, do you have a place that you normally recommend people? I know they say, start yeah. in the gospel of John. Um, what do you I, do? Do, I tend to do uh, Mark. Um, Me too. So that's, that, that tends to be where I go or, or if I'm going to open up the Bible with someone. Yep. And my gosh, we have so many resources. So uh, many. Do not. So I would recommend talking to your local pastor. And aside from listening to his preaching, maybe you're commuting to work, get his recommendation on good preachers to listen to because yes. not preachers are created equal. Yes. And yeah. You want to make sure, especially if you're a new Christian, that you're getting a steady and a consistent message yep. um, from those persons to whom you're listening. So mm-hmm. uh, talk to your pastor, get some wisdom from him, and then... This is not to be a sub. This is not to be a substitute for attending church on the Lord's Day, but listen to Sinclair Ferguson, mm-hmm. right? Listen to R.C. Sproul. Uh, yep. Listen to those people that are going to get you into God's Word early yeah. and often, and just really, you know, double down on the means of grace. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean that's even something that there's a group of us who do that. We'll, we're we'll listen to each other's sermons because it's. It's edifying. I mean, it's it's uh, it 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 stokes our own heart, and it's helpful for us to hear someone else who uh, who can s- preach or speak in a certain way. And it is. I mean, it's it's hugely edifying to do that. And it's kind of like um, it's not the main meal, but it is. It's good supplements that can help aid the main diet. Well, Spin, we really appreciate it. We're definitely going to have to have you on. And uh, we got to get more hot takes, and uh, I think that's going to be maybe may, maybe we'll have our own version of the uh, the the hot wings show. And uh, I don't know, I don't know what we'll do. Maybe we'll just do straight up hot sauce, not even wings. We'll just do just the Are you uh, a hot sauce guy. I'm a hot sauce guy, but it's got to taste good though. That's my thing. It's got to taste good. Are you a Texas Pete devotee? I'm a, I'm a Texas Pete Crystals Louisiana mm. hot sauce. That that that's my that's my vibe right there. Mm. There we go. So y'all are learning something new every day. But thank you for listening to the Gospel Gazing Podcast, and we hope you'll join us for future episodes.